This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, and thank you for your contributions to last week's annual pledge drive here at KDVS. We want to especially thank all those people who contributed during our hour of broadcast last week, and thanks to Ed Martin and Dr. Andy Jones for showing up to help out. Sad to note, however, we failed to achieve our goal of raising $60,000. Fell short by a fairly wide margin, unfortunately, having pulled in just over $41,000 during our week of Pledge Drive. But uh, fortunately, as in past years, we will be able to make up some of that deficit by you, dear listener, going to the web to fundraiser.kdvs.org and pledging. This we ask you to do. I know that times are tough and that, uh, that uh, you know, sometimes there's not a lot of extra dollars laying around. But so many of you have chipped in in the past, were not able to do so last week, I noticed. But uh, fortunately, it's not too late. So we ask you to go to the web and do what you can. The station does need your support. You are a partner in this endeavor. So, partner, fundraiser.kdvs.org. Please do what you can. We, we may be reminding you of this in the next few weeks. And no, I'm not sure why it is we don't have a vehicle donation program at KDVS. I'm going to have to make some inquiries along those lines. And also, sad to note, uh, Capital Public Radio decided to have its pledge drive, an extra pledge drive during our week, which does remind me of something that I mentioned to Ed Martin right as we got done with our hour last uh, Thursday. But I did forget to mention one compelling reason why you should donate money to KDVS, which is that we can promise you, and this is a solemn promise, that you will never, on KDVS, have to listen to Beth Royak. Just kidding, Beth. You're doing a great job over there. And why wouldn't you, with the kind of producers you have helping you? No, ladies and gentlemen, please do what you can to contribute to KDVS so that you won't have to endure, say, two reporters arguing back and forth about what the latest items of trivia are in the Sacramento Kings continuing soap opera. Of course, oddly enough, we'll have a few things to say about, about that saga before this hour's up. And we're especially pleased to be able to speak, as we will do in our second segment, with a member of the Capital Steps, that satirical group of music makers, which... Uh, you've surely heard from. Uh, James Israel of the Humor Times is sponsoring a local event with the Capital Steps. We'll be talking to James and the good people from the group in our second segment today. Well, let's jump into today's show as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 2nd of May. It was on May 2nd in 1497 that the Italian navigator John Caboto, renamed John Cabot by the British, set sail in search of a western route to Asia under letters patent from King Henry VII. Yes, that was Henry VIII's dad. Cabot landed on June 24, 1497 to claim North America for England. I think this made him the discoverer of Newfoundland. 
But the British were able to make their claims stick, which is why I'm now speaking to you in English instead of Espanol. Or maybe French. On May 2nd in 1932, American comedian Jack Benny debuted in his own radio show on the NBC Blue Network. His beginning salary was $1,400 per week, which wasn't too bad for 1932. Jack Benny went on to have a tremendously successful run on radio and later on television. If you never caught any of those broadcasts of the Jack Benny Show, I strongly urge you, dear listener, to do so. He had a great ensemble of supporting actors, a crack team of writers, and some pretty wonderful recurring themes, such as the fact that he was a tightwad. Quite the opposite, I would point out of Radio Parallax, where the host here is noted for his generosity. Isn't that right, Mr. McMillan? Yeah, remind me to fire you if you don't come up with better sound effects. <laughs> On this date in 1965, the early bird satellite we used was used to send television pictures across the Atlantic for the first time. Yes. For the first time in human history, people could see what was going on in another part of the world as it happened. And finally, on May 2nd in 1994, Nelson Mandela claimed victory after South Africa's first democratic elections as President F.W. de Klerk was defeated. To his credit, however, de Klerk was instrumental in getting Mandela released. I'm really sorry to know that when we first started doing radio over a decade ago, we made an effort to get F.W. de Klerk and Nelson Mandela on the program. And I believe we could have gotten to Clerk, but by that point in time, apparently Mandela was no longer doing interviews. Our quote today comes from the late Jackie Robinson, who said, The most luxurious possession, the richest treasure anybody has, is his personal dignity. To which I would add, I got a chance to see 42 in San Francisco a few days ago. Not bad, not bad. A worthy effort. I recommend it. Our quip of the day comes from that noted quipster, Winston Churchill, who once said, The further back you can look, the farther forward you are likely to see. Our joke of the day comes from the writers for Conan O'Brien, who noted a couple weeks back, Two rides at Disneyland have been temporarily shut down due to safety concerns. The most dangerous of these is probably Mr. Toad's wild ride while texting. Our stat of the day is that 55% of Americans now believe it's possible to pass new gun control laws without interfering with Second Amendment rights. And no, we can't account for how 45% of Americans apparently wonder about passing any, any kind of gun control legislation without, I guess, chucking out the Second Amendment. And... Uh, Additional stats to go with this are that 86% of Americans say they support requiring background checks on those buying guns at shows or online, while 56% support a national ban on high-capacity ammunition clips, according to the Washington Post slash ABC News. Of course, curiously, even though 55 senators were in favor of passing some legislation on gun control, they seem to be stuck on this filibuster rule, which means I guess you now have to have 60 votes to get anything done, and uh, it failed. We'll continue to follow this sad saga. Bonus statistic was that uh, in Sacramento this week, on Monday, 
Executive Airport saw temperature hit 93, breaking the previous record for the date set in 1968. We've had 20, 30 mile an hour gusts blowing through the valley here this week, meaning that uh, the greenery of April is kind of under the blow dryer. We're seeing things dry out rapidly. I don't know about you, Mr. Merlin, but I am not quite ready for summer heat yet. Oh, and I'm sure this has nothing to do with this so-called global warming. For some reason, a number of items are sitting here in front of me from the idiot file. And I think we're just going to have to deal with them one by one. Starting with the fact that uh, we were hoping at the beginning of last month in April to, uh, to cite some items regarding some great April Fool's hoaxes. I guess we'll try and do a more comprehensive look at that next year. But I do want to note that, uh, and this is classic, in 1966, Taco Bell announced it had bought the Liberty Bell and was renaming it the Taco Liberty Bell, which we just have to like. Of course, at that point, the White House joined in. This must be the Clinton White House, adding that the Lincoln Memorial now had been sold and was now the Ford Lincoln Mercury Memorial. And speaking of fanciful political buildings, how about that uh, George W. Bush Presidential Library? David Letterman chipped in with uh, the instantly overused quip that uh, there was going to be a wing for the weapons of mass destruction, but apparently nobody can find it. Did like a piece I saw on the web by David Wiegel, noting that uh, North Carolina Representative Walter Jones, who's a safe Republican incumbent, has spent years apologizing for his early Iraq war boosterism. He now says George W. Bush should have been impeached, but it didn't happen. You may remember him as the House member who got the cafeteria to rename French fries Freedom Fries. That because the French, and for that matter the Germans, wouldn't join in in this fiasco in Iraq. Well, thank Gary Chu for being the first to point out to me Sandra Day O'Connor's recent comments about W., Although she apparently stopped short of using the word regret, the former justice recently suggested that the high court shouldn't have intervened in the 2000 election. Said O'Connor, maybe the court should have said, we're not going to take it. She was, of course, the fifth vote to install Bush as president. While claiming that election authorities in Florida had done a poor job, she added that the Supreme Court likely, quote, added to the problem at the end of the day, unquote. And from our... Sylvester Stallone file. Yes, apparently Rocky the musical has been knocking him out in Germany. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone hopes that the musical based on his beloved boxing film will also be a hit here on Broadway. Yes, it was written in English but translated into German for its world premiere as Rocky Das Musical. And yes, we expect to hear from Sylvester Stallone about this very issue in the near future, and we do expect also to hear from Colonel Skip Klondike from Iraq, who's been absent from this show for far, far too long. The currently the colonel has apparently been serving as an entertainment liaison to President Nouri al-Maliki in Iraq. We believe uh, that uh, Colonel Klondike had put some time in at the USO and has now been instrumental in Maliki's reportedly hilarious Karnak routine. Stay tuned for more on that. Um, we're not sure what it is they're smoking um, at NASA or at uh, Ames Research Institute or various other people that are mouthing off about this interesting, actually very interesting discovery based on the Kepler mission that uh, a star, 
about 1,200 light years away, which has five planets, two of which are now known to be in the Goldilocks zone. Of course, that's not what makes them interesting. What fascinates people here on planet Earth is that they are just a little bit bigger than our home planet and in the Goldilocks zone. It's some interesting science, all right, but some of the speculations about this planet have me just <laughs> um, puzzled. Noted the Week magazine, the smaller of the two planets, Kepler-62f, is particularly enticing. About 40% larger than the Earth, with a year of 267 days. It uh, Computer models suggest it may be rocky and Earth-like. Scientists say the other planet, hotter and slightly larger, might be covered entirely in a giant ocean. Well, yeah, it might also be covered in hot fudge. But they're going to have to base it on a little bit more than computer modeling. But things are even worse in New Scientist, at least in regards to some of these speculations. They quote William Bariki, principal investigator for NASA's Kepler mission, as saying that uh, these worlds are massive enough that they should hold a thick atmosphere, and so sea life could perhaps... Okay, the sea that might be there. Uh, the sea life that may be there could perhaps take to the air. Said Bariki, we know that at least in our ocean we have flying fish. They fly to get away from predators. So we might find that they've evolved birds on this ocean planet. Yeah, birds, flying fish. How about trapeze artists? Then they got a guy at Harvard, Dmitry Sasolov, going even further, if that's humanly possible, saying these two possibly habitable planets could have civilizations on each one saying, imagine looking through a telescope to see another world with life just a few million miles from your own, or having the capability to travel between them on a regular basis. I, I can't think of a more powerful motivation to become a spacefaring society. Whoa, down boy. Then they've got a guy, John Jenkins, on the Kepler team and with the SETI Institute in Mountain View, saying that if both worlds host intelligent life, we might be able to snoop on a conversation between Kepler-62e and 62f. Yes, let's now imagine what those broadcasts might be like. I knew it. I knew. Well, here it comes. I'm going to get soaked. Oh, the heck with Wilson. I'm going to walk right in that house, ready or not. If he thinks I'm going to stand... Come up, buddy. <laughs> huh? You heard me. Stick him up. Stick him up? Are you a burglar? I ain't the Count of Monte Cristo. <laughs> Yes, speculating on whether Kepler-62E or F have their own version of the Jack Benny show might be seen by some as somewhat speculative. But what the hey, let's just turn our imaginations loose, shall we? Now here's a blurb from the Sacramento News and Review we like. Just when radio shock jock dumbassery couldn't get any more obtuse, local K-Rock morning radio host Rob, Arnie, and Don dedicated a segment on their show to the top five reasons to hate Boston the day after the bombing attacks. Intercom, which owns local station 98 Rock, took the show off the air. The trio still had yet to return as of this paper's deadline. I think that was on last week's paper. So we don't know whether Rob, Arnie, and Don are indeed back on the air, and frankly, we don't give a damn. Though this correspondent does uh, speculate as to whether they might, might find a home over there at Cap Radio. After all, in the Sacramento News and Reviews Best Of edition a couple years back, uh, Rob Arney and Don came out number one with Insight as number two. 
And no, nobody at KDVS made the list that year, and, well, we're, we're glad of it. Where are we still in the idiot file? Yeah, all right. Well, this, this one has to be there. You may or may not be aware, dear listener, that we have in California the Board of Cosmetology and Barbering, but we do, and it has recently issued a bulletin banning nail salons from offering a spa treatment using live fish on their patrons' souls. Yes, apparently in other countries, they have fish that will nip the dead skin off of your body, and this is a popular spa treatment here and there around the world. I think we talked about a spa in Turkey that was doing it some years back. Well, that ain't going to happen here in California, folks. We've got a California Board of Cosmetology and Barbering that's going to put its foot down. Pun intended. Health officials have long raised concern, noted the Sacramento Bee, about letting fish nibble off dead skin during a pedicure, leading some states to ban the practice. You know, they're not using piranhas. But apparently the California board announced years ago that fish pedicures run afoul of health rules requiring that tools be disinfected between patrons. Said executive officer Christy Underwood, there's no way they can disinfect that water that person is putting their feet into. And they quoted Fred Jones, Professional Beauty Federation of California Executive Director, saying he wasn't aware of any salons offering fish pedicures here in California before this decision took effect. But he asked, how do you disinfect a live fish? You don't. So they'd basically be single-use. <laughs> He's assuming that you'd have to make the fish single-use or else run afoul of disinfecting laws. Woo! Maybe these people that say California is overregulated, our businesses are under too much stress, uh, they may have a point. Mr. Jones closed with, I don't know what kind of secondhand market there is for used pedicure fish. Whoo! Mr. McMillan? All right, I guess we're going to have to close out this whole segment with the idiot file. And what more idiot news story could we possibly cover than the idea that the Bay Delta Conservation's plan to put big, giant tunnels into the Sacramento River is going to help it. God, I got a file here about a quarter inch thick to talk about some of this stuff, but I think I'm just going to focus in on uh, Sacramento Bee piece from a couple days ago about how, well, only two people heard him say it, but it's causing a big stir. Apparently, Jerry Merrill, who is um, the local bureaucrat tapped to steer the Bay Delta Conservation Plan's controversial Twin Tunnels project, was talking with Tom Stokely, a water policy analyst with the California Water Impact Network. (laughs) Who knows where they stand? But he was with an earshot of Barbara Berrigan Paria, campaign director of Restore the Delta. Stokely and Berrigan Paria both told the Bee that Merrill said this, quote, BDCP is not about and has never been about saving the Delta. The Delta cannot be saved. Berrigan Paria wrote down those sentences and posted them to her group's website where they were picked up by bloggers. Noted the B, critics called Merrill's words evidence that BDCP is merely a scheme to divert more North State water to the ever-thirsty South State. Gee, do you think? We were proud to say we've been on this story for quite some time, and we continue to ask, and we'll ask again today, that when someone can explain to us how this so-called conservation plan 
can improve the fisheries and help the Delta by taking water out of the Sacramento River and putting it in a big culvert to send it to Southern California, well, then maybe we'll consider getting on board. Last Thursday, five members of Congress called for Merrill to resign. Last Monday, nine members of the legislature urged Jerry Brown to halt the plan, calling Merrill's remarks, quote, a rare moment of candor in a remote location, unquote. An agency spokesman told the B that Merrill was not available to discuss the matter, but that his words were taken out of context. And before we go, we just want to cite uh, that The Buzz in the Sacramento Bee has been pretty well covering this. That last piece was by Matt Weiser, but Curtis Tate wrote uh, before that that uh, members of Congress in Northern California threw some cold water on Jerry Brown unveiling more details of his plan to, <laughs> and I can't believe The Bee reports this with a straight face, to restore the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. But uh, Doris Matsui, Sacramento's representative, said, we to, said to solve California's water situation, we must find an approach that doesn't take the problem of one half of the state and lay them at the feet of the other. And yes, they want water down there. Apparently, the rainfall totals for January, February, and March have been the lowest since records have been kept. They are dry down there. And of course, there is a Southern California Water Committee which represents business, ag interests, and water districts from Bakersfield South, have, have praised the plan. <laughs> and they're, of course, no doubt praising it because of the salubrious effect they anticipate on bay fisheries and farming. Said Charles Wilson, and I know not the Charlie Wilson of Charlie Wilson's War, businesses, farmers, local elected leaders, and public water agencies are all stepping up to support the Bay Delta Conservation Plan. And I'm sure this has nothing to do with the interest of Southern California real estate developers to continue their drunken spree of buying up dry land and putting homes on it. And that's quite enough of that. Let's take a much-needed break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. When we come back, we'll have a talk with Elena Newport, co-founder and co-author of the comedy and musical stylings of The Capital Steps. That's going to be fun. Stick around. Who's the conservative justice we just can't resist? Scalia. Scalia, Scalia, Scalia. Who's the centerfold for strict constructionists? Scalia. Scalia, Scalia, Scalia. Scalia, Scalia, Scalia. Five to four all night. Scalia, 